probably know whether we're the Australian Podcast of the Year by then. <laughs> we might have some sponsors to insert. Yeah, look, let's not book a session to write the thank you speech just yet. <laughs> Welcome to Season 2 of The Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis, two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs. In this show, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. From summiting Everest to running orphanages in Africa, from winning world championships to overcoming the grief of losing a child, our guest stories continue to inspire us by delivering shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. And welcome back to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. You're Ben Pronk. I'm not doing this cutesy little... <laughs> and I'm Tim Curtis. Welcome, Ben. G'day, Tim. How are Welcome you? Welcome to RV 2021. 21 today. Jeez, all that, all that time ago. RV1. You didn't want to do an RV, did you? I didn't want to do this podcast. I, rem- I still don't want to do this podcast. <laughs> I'm here every week by sufferance. <laughs> uh, it's a wonderful thing to have you in the studio. Okay, RV21. Mm. What are we going to reflect on? And in fact, firstly, what's an RV? No, we're not doing that. We did that last week. We did it last RV. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, so it's a rendezvous. It's <laughs> point. <laughs> Good point. We are going to reflect on. We're going to reflect on reflection. Mm. We're going to talk about meditation with Gary Goro. With Gary Goro, mm-hmm. who is. Um, a Vedic meditation instructor in Byron Bay. Yeah, really interesting discussion with Gary, and he had some amazing philosophies. Then, a two-part episode with Wayne Jones. Yeah, really good friend of ours and a, another amazing human being. So first up, Gary. Before, <laughs> and then lastly, Coco Quirk, NSC. Reflections on the episode with Coco. Brilliant. Now first up, Gary. First up, Gary. Meditation. When did you first become aware of meditation? Like when? When did you sort of start? Because clearly, you you do it now. Yep. You're seeing a lot of positive benefits from it. We espouse it in terms of our views on resilience mm. uh, and leadership and life in general. When when did you first become aware of it? I think I had misdiagnosed meditation for ages and was getting it confused confused with mindfulness. So probably 18 months ago, I started focusing on the environment and being present and tuning into small things and disconnecting um, through that focus on odd things, you know, the Mm wabi-sabi, taking beauty from peculiar objects. And and I kind of thought that there was something meditative about that, but it clearly was not meditation. And uh, I still practice mindfulness, but I have also completed a meditation course. And in completing the meditation course, it probably, or in fact, it hasn't probably, it definitely has drawn me to the conclusion that the two are linked but separate. So one is on focusing outward and one is on focusing inward. And the experiences that I have are very different 
but complementary. So my meditation practice is a twice daily practice. I do it first up in the morning before I have my first coffee (laughs) and then I do it immediately on return, typically from work. Um, And the benefit I get from that is quite profound. Um, What I try and do is reflect on the way I behave as a result of meditating. And I've noticed my responses are completely different. The way I used to respond pre-meditation is very different to the way I respond to events and triggers and frustrations now. And uh, I find that absolutely fascinating that you can take this exterior view on what I used to do, what I would have said, um, and now what I'm doing. Have you noticed a difference in me? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I thought that was from my meditation that you're you're mildly less <laughs> yeah, annoying, right. but maybe that is yeah, maybe that's the benefits of your meditation going outwards. I also think the neuroscience of it is fascinating. So, um, I'm a massive fan of placebos. If it's stupid and it works, it's not stupid. You know, whether that kind of black box um, methodology where you meditate and life is better than kind of who cares what's happening in the middle or, yeah. or whether there is an actual difference. And yet I do still really enjoy hearing scientifically peer-reviewed research um, that kind of backs up these these outcomes and some absolutely incredible research emerging on the neuroplastic effects of mm-hmm. meditation and particularly particularly the ability to um, have a positive effect on our amygdala response. Yes, Put our prefrontal cortex, our thinking brain, back in the driver's seat and overcoming some of that knee-jerk primal sort of response that, that our amygdala would drive in a, a fight, flight, flee, fornicate type um, type uh, sort of primal response. Without question, you know, neuroplasticity, neuro of the bla- brain, plasticity, like plasticine is malleable, is changeable. And uh, yeah, I, I think, you know, back to my earlier comment, I've definitely noticed a difference and probably where amygdala would kick in, it doesn't kick in or I'm able to marginalise it a bit more. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I certainly, in terms of a daily practice, it's now one thing that I would not do without. Mm. And if we look at the, the two circles in that Venn diagram you just described being mindfulness and meditation, I think there's a third overlapping circle with breath work, um, uh, an important part of all of those same, same, but different in many ways. And in fact, I'm currently listening to an audio book called Breath by James Nestor, which talks about all of these sorts of things. It's more focused, I guess, on the physiological responses and the benefits of things like nose breathing, things like slowing down our breath, the importance of carbon dioxide. And he draws some interesting parallels with meditation and talks about a lot of our old meditation practices and a lot of old religious practices basically uh, recitations that drive a slower breath pattern. Mm. And he believes it's no coincidence that people find peace through these recitations because there is a physiological response. They're slowing down their breath to to say sort of their Ave Marias or whatever it might be, um, which which mimics a, an optimal breathing pattern of 5.5 breaths per, se- uh, per minute. Mm. Interesting. That's good stuff. Anyway, so back... To Gary, away from our <laughs> meditation and mindfulness practices, <laughs> and perhaps back to our guest, Gary Goddard. <clears throat> now, uh, Gary is a Vedic meditation instructor mm-hmm. um, in Byron Bay. A couple of things that I really liked, you asked him about how do I get into this practice of meditation, and he explained that in the Vedic 
methodology. It is a twice daily practice of around about 20 minutes. You're not strict about it. And if you can't find 20 minutes in your day, you need to find an hour. I like that line. That was cool. Yeah. Yep. No, and I reckon we had a great conversation about uh, making meditation more accessible. I think in a lot of circles, maybe particularly in male circles, there's a stigma associated with meditation. It's sort of hippie stuff or it's frou-frou or it's it's something sort of fluffy. And um, I think Gary did a great job of explaining the, the sort of benefits, both psychologically and physically, and making it in a in a manner that is accessible to everyone. I wax lyrical about the book Stealing Fire, where Kotler talks about reaching this um, place of ecstasis, you know, the origin of the world word ecstasy. And we also talk about that with Gary. He likens meditation to this journey to the top of the mountain. And once you're there, you can stay there as long as you like. But also you can clearly reach it through um, taking some form of substance. But uh, it's not a journey. You just get plonked on the top of the mountain and you can't stay there. So I liked his candor in talking about that, Ben. I've been really interested um, and reading a lot uh, lately on uh, psychedelics in particular. And yeah, I found that part of the, the discussion with Gary really interesting about that overlap between um, the, the sort of ultimate end of enlightenment from a meditative point of view and the potential shortcuts you can get through pharmaceuticals to a similar state. But I did like his his analogy about that helicopter onto a mountain. You know, it's the same end state, but careful what you wish for. You know, there's there's a benefit to going there slowly, but equally there can be benefits of, of seeing the views by taking a shortcut. I found that fascinating. And we're not judging that either way. Um, he has a retreat called Soma in Byron Bay where he runs meditation courses. Uh, you'll find that, I think, um, as part of his website and also on social media. Wayne Jones, a two-part episode with uh, former SAS leader, now ASX CEO of iFly Australia. Wayne's a champion. We've been wanting to get Wayne on uh, pretty much since we started, and for, for one reason or other, it, it took us this long. But we've both known Wayne for, for ages. Um, I really look at Wayne as a, an absolute inspiration in terms of everything he did in uniform, everything he's done out of uniform uh, with iFly, and everything he does on stage as well. I had the pleasure of, of um, playing in a band with him for a number of years, and yeah, really good experiences. Brad Macker sent us a message saying he spat his coffee out this morning when he heard Wayne Jones say, quote, anyone that says they're unfazed by what people say about them as either Kim Kardashian or full of shit, unquote. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really interesting. And and we, well, I in particular, love that sort of stoic philosophy where you try not to be affected by events, but by the view you take of them. You try not to be uh, sort of or allow yourself to be moved by what people think of you. But that's a, a long path to get there. I think most of us are impacted by that. And I, I thought that discussion with Wayne about that and um, was pretty instructive, and, and particularly the the big leap of faith he took. You know, going from 
a, a position where he'd achieved a lot. He had credibility, still does clearly, but, you know, within the military circles. And then to, to sort of try something where he could fail. You know, he, he swung for the bleachers, could have sort of um, uh, failed, could have fallen over. Um, that's a, a big leap from, a I guess, a, a self-efficacy, self-esteem point of view, which he's, he's made. And I thought his discussions on that topic were really interesting. Racking my brain on whether there has been a former member of the Australian SAS become the CEO of an ASX listed company. And I actually threw that challenge out there in general, and I haven't actually had anyone come back and indicate that Wayne is not the first. So he could be the first CEO, former SAS, of an ASX listed company. Yeah, but I think that accolade would be completely incidental, you know. Yeah, he's, to he's, him it would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that he's just that kind of guy who, we keep saying it, goes always a little further and um, instead of just thinking, gee, it'd be great to have a wind tunnel in Australia, uh, actually works out what what it would take to do that and, and goes and gets it done. And, and I, I found it really interesting talking to him and getting his reflections on that journey. I was there at the start of it when he was still in uniform and and talking about this idea, which seemed like a pipe dream. And I think we spoke about in the episode, I remember him sort of coming to that realisation that we're probably going to need some money to buy, to, to fund this thing. And at one stage, talking about Ukrainian financing options, mm. which I thought could have a really nasty ending. Um, but he, he clearly sort of went the IPO uh, route, which... I guess can be equally nasty, um, but has has worked out well for him. And had some exceptional advisors, and he calls them out um, on the show. Yeah, that was cool, and and particularly did his uncle. I, I love that kind of circle of, you know, just that two degrees of separation type thing, but just that wonderful idea of of people helping one another, mm. um, and yeah, really really uh, helped kickstart their, their sort of foray into the big wide world of finance and public listing. Yep, and impossible's nothing for Wayne. I mean, he, he says that when he got into the world of business, he didn't even know how to produce a signature block for his email. And yet now, here he is, CEO of an <laughs> ASX listed I'm company. I'm laughing because we do struggle with that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's probably That's true. a bad example because that is actually harder than it looks. <laughs> Very challenging. <laughs> Um, he was there at Cabello, the massacre in Rwanda, and he talks about closing the loop. We asked him the question, how do you process all of this evil that you've seen? I mean, essentially a battalion, uh, factional battalion, um, swept through an internally displaced camp and killed hundreds, and they were a force protection element for a medical team, uh, had the discipline to hold their fire, otherwise they would have definitely been part of the statistic mm. and uh, yeah we asked him well how do you how do you come through that with good headspace and he talks about pr- uh, closing the loop the importance of a debrief the importance of something afterwards that enables you to understand other people's perspective what they saw because they would have seen it from a different angle and in getting those perspectives it enables you to quote close the loop mm. Wayne has been a massive catalyst in my personal interest in this idea of resilience 
in that um, we see a lot of people uh, from recent conflicts in the military sense having PTSD, having real uh, issues um, post-deployment from a whole variety of different stimuli. And, I mean, it is not just sort of the, the severity of the thing you're exposed to. There's a whole bunch of factors that could drive a negative outcome from a mental health perspective. But um, when you look at what Wayne has experienced, what he's witnessed, what he's been through, um, all the way from Cabello through to everything he's done in Afghanistan, Iraq, everything he's seen in those theatres, I would say there wouldn't be too many sort of other members of, of the Australian Defence Force who have been exposed to just... The, the level of trauma and atrocity and violence and loss that Wayne has. And yet, you know, here's a guy who has come out the other side stronger. He's one of the most happy-go-lucky guys you could meet. Um, he's, to me, a real poster child for resilience. And I find that fascinating that that one person could, could go through all of that and um, come out uh, in a really good place, and it was interesting getting his insights into some of those methods and techniques that he used to to try and buttress himself against the the experiences he's had. And we talk music. Your old band, Tongue Charge. Yeah. Can't tell the story when Angry Anderson sang backing vocals <laughs> oh, in Afghanistan. Yeah. You're in flip-flops and head torches and... Yeah, no stage shorts. presence. It was good fun, though. Um, that whole Tongue Charge experience, we spoke with the externals um, and that idea of having that sort of social connection with members of your, your, your sort of work colleagues, but with something very different to what we were doing, you know, and I... I Really loved the the time we had with them, and the you know that gig with Angry Anderson, as we said, was probably the the pinnacle. But but other times we played sort of on base, local pubs, um, just a really good outlet and a, a really good part of my experience within the unit and with those particular guys. And we've got some tongue charge music woven through both of those little episodes. Yeah. Which gives a clear indication as to why none of us are playing professionally. <laughs> we we actually used to to um, very much look up to the externals who who did an amazing job. A lot of great original tunes, really professionally recorded. They could actually play their instruments, which um, put them you know in a league above us. Uh, but we had fun. We we played the classic three chord Australian pub rock anthems covers, and um, yeah, we we butchered them, but it was good fun. Long may it continue. The anthems and the butchering (laughs) and in fact on the back of Wayne's episode we got some feedback from a, a really good mutual friend of all of ours uh, Hawks, um, who is a, a, a really um, strong supporter of the, the podcast and, and stays in great touch. Um, but Hawks refers to a comment that, that Wayne made. Wayne's talking about leadership and he's using the metaphor of leading a military per- patrol up a hill in an arduous sort of uh, mission and turning around and, and seeing that your, your patrol's not behind you and you've, you've got to go back, convince them and, and keep charging up the hill. 
And Hawks took that opportunity to remind me of uh, a similar thing that happened in our experience. And I quote, I seem to remember Mr. Pronk turning around on our way out from a night patrol in Timor and finding three patrols and I had stopped. Which I guess shows <laughs> my inability to lead in the same way that uh, Wayne could. Following you out of curiosity. <laughs> what were you doing at the front? Leading from the front. Oh, yeah. That's, Isn't that that's what you do? genius. Haven't you heard that saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, but I don't think that's physically, practically from the front on I, night I patrols. think if I'm honest, I was probably wandering off in the wrong direction. <laughs> I'd lost, I'd lost uh, myself and my patrol. I wonder why they had stopped. Did he amplify? No. Mm. Probably lazy. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't have your level of fitness. You were so far ahead. I'd say Needed you to it. slow down. Yeah. No, I, I think because I was probably wandering somewhere dangerous. Mm. No, good times and great to hear from Hawks and to, to stay in touch with him. Coco Quirk. NSC. Yeah. It gee. was great having him on the program. Your brother, I think, knows Coco yes, well. Yes, the, the um, military medical community is close, and they, um, I think, had worked together in uniform. Both of them super committed to, uh, both of them incredible combat medical experience and super committed to helping prepare the next wave of medics uh, to, to go into combat environments and deal with the extreme trauma that they're often exposed to. And I think it was through that that Dan, my brother, and, and Coco met. Um, but yeah, so I, we'd sort of been corresponding with Coco for a little while and, and finally managed to line that up. We'd certainly heard a lot about him. Um, but gee, I, I was blown away by that that interview, his, um, his approach, his uh, positivity, you know, just that you, I think you could encapsulate that interview with the, that kind of line he said, you know, that day that he got blown up, mm. um, and like life threatening. In fact, he died three times. Yeah. Um, best day of his life. Best day of his life. NSC. What's that stand for? Nursing Service Cross. Which he was awarded in North Queensland for treating a guy who <laughs> caught a widow maker. Yeah. Had a tree had, had, Armoured vehicle run into the tree, tree had fallen on his head. And we talk a little bit about leading where you don't have the rank. He wasn't the senior mm-hmm. appointment, but he was the medical expert. It was his casualty. And he was making calls that could have changed whether that person lived or died. Yeah, an amazing presence of mind. And, and even just some of those little tangible tips, like mm. write stuff down. Yes. How about that for a tip? Um I, I thought that was excellent, and it speaks to just how overwhelming those situations can be. And you know, our faculties do funny things under extreme stress, and short-term memory gets weird, and we can remember things differently, and we can uh, have all sorts of different reactions. And just that idea of using something tangible like writing things down as an anchor um, to to give yourself that position to to make decisions from really practical tips. Yeah, and you've got to also listen to his experiences through Iraq and into Afghanistan where he served as a medic and in particular the incident that um, led to him being seriously injured, dying tw- uh, three times mm. and being evacuated to Germany. Um, unbelievable. Yeah, it really is. And not isolated. I mean, it's it's funny. I, I 
it'd be really interesting how many of our listeners have heard of Coco McQuirk before. Mm. Um, but this is an amazing story. And there's, there's many like that, many people um, who are dealing with these incredibly traumatic injuries and events and working their way through them. And I think people like Coco are an amazing inspiration, not just for soldiers, but for anyone overcoming a massive life-changing trauma. Um, that kind of positivity I mentioned before is really admirable in terms of a way of dealing with it. And all that's not enough. He's also the ambassador for a charity called Swiss Eight. Yeah, who are doing incredible things um, in that exact that mental health space, mm. um, not just for veterans, but it happens to be a, a veteran sort of founded, 100% veteran owned uh, and started organisation. Um, but really, again, a, a selfless or good example of selflessness in terms of promoting things that are good for other people and using their own experiences uh, to, to showcase, highlight and create that awareness. Yeah, check out... Uh Swiss 8, Swiss and the number 8, how you can support them on their website. They've got some merch there, but also there's the Swiss 8 app. Um, That's free. Mm. Check that out. And lastly, another way that you could get involved is in Swiss 8's A Barbecue to Remember. And it's a a barbecue, a physical barbecue, to promote uh, mental health for all Australians while supporting veterans through the month of November. Yeah. And Tim, we might close off with some listener feedback. We got a, a really awesome email from Craig, um, who basically was was writing in to, to say that he enjoyed the podcast, which is fantastic, but also to highlight that he had connections with both of our fathers. So he'd gone, Craig had gone through uh, the Royal Military College when your dad, Rod, was the, the DMA, the Director of Military Arts there, mm-hmm. and then had spent some time uh, working under my dad, Hank, uh, when my father was a CEO of the 1st Aviation Regiment. And so wonderful little tip of the hat to both our parents, um, but really uh, just a, a very touching note to, to say thanks for the podcast and to talk a little bit about his current ventures um, with some amazing leadership challenges uh, in a new role as CEO of a helicopter company um, mm. in New Zealand, mm. but of course with lockdown, doing that from from Sydney. So some pretty impressive uh, sort of leadership uh, challenges and uh, that, that Craig's stepping up to. Yeah, fantastic. We love your feedback. We love your stories. We love your questions. Debrief at unforgiving60.com or any of our social media platforms. Just search at unforgiving60. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, thank you for listening. We hope that these little tidbits, these little bits of knowledge that we're trying to collect from our amazing guests are helping you to fill your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run and to assist you in going always a little further. Didn't Charlie Munger say the big ideas from the big disciplines? Are we bringing the little ideas from the... Well, we're filling in the lattice work. So, Charlie, <laughs> you build your lattice on the big ideas and we fill it in with just little tidbits. Just little bits and Little knowledge. shiny bits of knowledge. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> well, until next time, thanks for listening. See ya. <laughs>
been home since 1973 Since he was 17 And by 21 it sailed the seven seas But it never seemed that far 